Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the world's most fantastic podcast. That's right. It's Uncanny Treks covering Fantastic Four by Jonathan Hickman. We're on what we could call volume 4.75, or we might just call FF Volume 2 or Future Foundation Volume 2, Supremer Seed. We're covering uh, the sixth issue through the 11th issue of FF Volume 1, also known as Future Foundation. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Doing pretty well. For our listeners, if you plan on purchasing these comics or looking for them somewhere, you have to type in FF. That's the name <laughs> of the actual comic. Yes, yes, which it... In one sense, it's shocking that there hadn't been a Fantastic Four comic called FF before this point. That is fascinating, yes. FF, to me, I always just thought it was short for Fantastic Four, but it's apparently not. FF is the legit name of the series. Yeah, yeah, and it it also, it is FF, but it's also the Future Foundation, right? Right. Yeah. There's just a confusion there, but if you continue reading FF, Future Foundation, the next volume is way after what's happening in the main main line correct no um the next volume of the proper fantastic four comics which comes back and then the next volume of this comic happens i think simultaneously i arguably it's best to read them parallel but i believe that reading the fantastic four volume and then the ff volume works and so that's what we're going to do to make it easier that's also when i read this a couple years ago that's how i did it i didn't switch issue to issue i read the trade of one series the trade of another series just fair warning i tried to start the next ff volume was very confused then i was oh there's a lot that happens like bob says parallel that it'd be better to read the fantastic four mainline first i believe you probably only missed out on an issue or two Probably, but I was super confused about what was going on. And I guess I should say we're going based on the old trade system because the old trade system uh, tends to be four to six issues, which is more manageable for podcasting. The entire run has been collected in three or four trades, and I haven't seen those, but perhaps they even do collect it in full reading order instead of having to alternate the series. I'm going volume to volume with the original volume. It throws you off a little bit. A couple other things as housekeeping, we should earn that's more important than housekeeping, but uh, for this issue six and seven are penciled by Greg Tashini. He's a Brazilian artist who's done some other Marvel stuff, but he's best known on Image. Uh, he works with Rick Remender, who you've read his Uncanny X-Force, right, Matt? Yes, I have, yes. He did an ongoing at Image C-Punk thing called Low with Remender, and then he did a, a miniseries before that with Remender called The Last Days of American Crime. I think Netflix made a movie out of Last Days of American Crime, but uh, I haven't seen the movie, but both series are pretty good. And then for 8 and 9, we're back to Steve Epting, the guy who's most famous for working with Ed Brubaker on the Captain America run with Winter Soldier. And then we're back to uh, Barry Kitson for 10 and 11, the guy who, to me at least, is most famous for co-creating the third version of The Legion with Mark Wade. Matt, do you want to walk us through the plot of the sixth issue, Two Kings? So Bob and Two Kings in a flashback issue, Black Bolt dies during the War of Kings crossover and his Queen Medusa rules the Kree and the Inhumans in his place while hundreds of thousands of years ago the Kree Supreme Intelligence comes to believe that its genetic experiments will lead to its destruction and so terminates all of its experiments except for Six Worlds. Bob, this <laughs> issue had me scared because we didn't see a single member of the Fantastic Four 
and I didn't know really what I was getting myself into with the Inhumans. Oh man, right. do, do you need your safety blanket, Fantastic Four characters? I need a safe place, yes, within the Fantastic Four universe, which I guess would be, I, I don't know, the room of the negative zone thing seems pretty safe, so I'm going to hang out there. I, I really enjoyed this. I, I like when comics can get away from their main characters for a bit. Um, I can't remember if I read War of Kings before this or if I read it subsequent to it, but I read them around the same time, so... That, that wasn't such a big concern for me. And then, Matt, just to quiz you, do you remember who the five universal inhuman species are? No, Bob. Who are they? I don't remember. Well, you know at least one of them, Matt. Inhumans? Yes, yes. So we have the inhumans, and then we have, as I call them, the insatorians, the inbadoon, the inchimelians, and the direst wraiths. So the centaurians are Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy, the Badoon are minor villain species that are around sometimes. The Chimelian are the space horses from Power Pack. And the Dire Wraiths are the bootleg scrolls from Rom the Space Knight. Can't believe I forgot all those folks. I know, Matt. I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. Now, uh, since, I, Matt, I happen to know that you watched a whole pilot of uh, the Inhuman TV show the other day. Uh, can you at least give me a rundown of the Inhuman royal family? Yeah, Bob. So after reading this the first two issues of this volume, I needed to learn a little bit about the Inhumans, so I went through, and the first Inhuman I learned about I learned about Bob was Black Bolt. He's the king of his own city on the dark side of the moon. Then yeah. in continuity before this, they the, the Inhumans had taken over the Kree, although the next issue is going to reset that, but that had, ha that had happened a few years before this. Black Bolt's powers, he is basically Banshee, but on a mega-level steroid. If he says anything, he can destroy the universe or something, so he has to keep his mouth shut. Very good, very good. And you've got a Medusa, who has long hair, but it isn't snakes. Uh, but she can control, control each strand. So, Bob, you want to know how the uh, pilot got away with not having to do a lot of CGI Medusa stuff? Did they have her wearing a turban the whole time? No, Bob, they shaved her head in the first episode. Oh, was that an aesthetic choice she made, or did the bad guys force that on her? The bad guys force it on her. First episode. Uh, so. I, can ima I can imagine that would be hard to do. Did they have to dope her? No, 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 they didn't, Bob. So you, you said you didn't hate this episode? I, I'm going to tell you this, Bob. I didn't hate the first episode. I started watching the second episode. Very, very slow-paced. Extremely huh. slow-paced. Which I think is probably uh -huh. the biggest complaint most people had about it. Interesting. I, I, can, I can see that. And then it, it looks like it was made for ABC. Just the, the budget wasn't there for such a huge undertaking. Interestingly, I, I think at least the first episode, and maybe it was the first two or three, got a, the, a very limited theatrical re release back in the day when they were trying yeah, to I, promote I the show. But yeah, the first episode I was okay with. The next episode I was like, eh, I'll probably want to go to the third. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so who's our next? Our next person, Bob, we have is Crystal, who is essentially Captain Planet. She's sister to Medusa. She can control Earth, Wind, Fire, the the elements. Okay, so I have to admit, I d didn't know what Crystal's powers were. Or I'd forgotten. So, okay, thanks for that. The, the biggest thing, though, is she's also Lockjaw's keeper. I think that's worth anything. Aww. All right, then you've got Gorgon, Bob. He's got bull legs. But what do those bull legs do, Matt? They cause earthquakes. Very good, very good. Yeah. Then you've got Karnak, who is this martial arts expert, and he can sense weak points. So like there, 
he's got that video game power where he can tell you where to go next because he can see where to go next visually. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. There's actually been two good Inhuman solo series. There's a good uh, Black Bolt solo series um, by uh, Saladin Ahmed and Christian Ward. And then there's a good uh, Karnak solo series by Warren Ellis, and I forget the artist. Maybe Weather Del Orta, but maybe not. But those are the only two I think you I can remember having good solo series. Yeah, and then you had Triton Bob, who is this Aquaman. Yeah, definitely the lamest, wouldn't you agree? Yes, definitely the lamest. Then you have Maximus the Mad, who's just this really smart guy. I don't think he has any actual powers that I'm aware of. And I know in the series, in the first episode, they were setting him up to be the bad guy. Yeah, he he's always the bad guy, pretty much. Or, or he's the unreal, at best, he's the unreliable ally. If I remember right, he's either Black Bolt's brother or half-brother. And he's always seeking to betray Black Bolt and take the throne. And then, last but not least, Bob, you have the most important character, Lockjaw, who's this big dog that can teleport people where he needs them to go. And ironically, uh, Lockjaw probably has the most exposure in the Marvel Universe because he's tight with Miss Marvel. He's tight with the Thing. Sometimes he leads the Pet Avengers. Uh, one of my favorite moments in recent Marvel comics is when, um, you know who Beta Ray Bill is, Matt? Oh, yeah, the guy who's like Thor, but is not Thor. Yeah, the, the space horse who is Thor, although I should hasten to add he's not a Chimelian. He's a different species. Uh, but the... The Space Horse Who's Thor, in a, there's a great Marvel Cosmic series we might read at some point, and Beta Ray Bill shows up, and he really hypes up his uh, friends by being, don't worry, I'm more bound to a powerful ally. And then Lockjaw shows up. It's great. So, Bob, there you have the Inhumans, which, did I leave any out? I don't think I did. Uh, there's a lot of other ones, but no, you hit the whole, the main, the main one, the royal family one. Frankly, even though I've read or skimmed every Inhumans comic, I... I I don't really know any others. So I, I will say the Inhumans have been very poorly served as stars in their own series. The only, I think the only good ones are, I don't even like the original Jack Kirby solo Inhuman stuff. And I like almost everything Kirby did, but I don't really care for that. Uh, I think those two solo series I mentioned, and then a uh, Donny Cates did a recent Inhuman series. That was pretty good mini series. But other than that, I don't think they've ever been good in a solo thing. Makes sense. Yeah. I really had never heard of them at all, period, other than through this. And I knew there was a show at one point, and they were going to bring them in as possible mutants because Marvel didn't have rights to X-Men. Yeah, and they, they even tried to do that with Inhumans versus X-Men in the comics, which was a terrible story. Bad for the Inhumans, bad for the X-Men, bad all around. And then there was that whole spate for a while where every new character was an Inhuman. So Miss Marvel was an Inhuman, Moon Girl was an Inhuman a few others whom I forget, but that's dried out, right? Where now we're saying Miss Marvel is a mutant and an inhuman. Yeah, yeah, Miss Marvel is a little bit everything, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's all right, that's all right. All right, Matt, so a, a very important question to pose to you. Is Cree destined an amazing pun? It's pretty good, Bob. I think, good. I think my favorite Cree pun remains live Cree or die, but Cree destined's pretty good, too. Well, Bob, this issue ends with Black Bolt coming back to consciousness after this the repercussions of the war or whatever that they that i didn't read about because this is apparently this huge crossover but uh we ended the last issue of fantastic four or of ff already knowing that he's awake 
If I were collecting these issue by issue back in the day, I would have been pissed. But you learned so much about the uh, the Kree and their experiments, Matt. It was backstory enriching. It was lots of fun learning about Supremor as he collected information to his giant ass brain or whatever until he got to, what, 98% or something and gave up and said, no, I'm good. I mean, I, I like to think Supremor is, uh, is interesting, but maybe I'm alone on that. <laughs> So uh, m moving ahead to number seven, speaking of Supremor, it's Supremor Seed. Matt, do you want to walk us through the plot to that? Supremor Seed. So Logjaw frees Black Bolt, who returns to the Kree throne, only to immediately delegate or abdicate. Logjaw frees Black Bolt, who returns to the Kree throne, only to immediately delegate or abdicate the throne to Ronan the Accuser. The inhuman royal family returns to Adelan on Earth's moon and to Black Bolt's four other wives, while Crystal remains with her husband and the new Kree regent, Ronan. So, I, we already mentioned this, but one of the things I think is interesting about this run, even though, in a way, it is Hickman trying to do new stuff, big-scale stuff. We talked about that, I believe, back in FF, or uh, sorry, back in Fantastic Four Volume 2, where Reed is yelling at all the scientists at the Aspen Ideas Festival, and it's implicitly Hickman yelling at other comics writers and other comics readers, right? Right. But for all that, and I mean, I do think this does a lot of interesting stuff. Hickman does spend a lot of the run resetting stuff back to their original state, right? You got to restore Dr. Doom after Fall of the Hulks. You got to get the Inhumans severed from the Kree and put them in new form and a new form with the Universal Inhumans, although it's pretty similar to their original form. You have to get rid of New World entirely. And so even though the Future Foundation and the Inhumans are a little bit changed and Atlantis is at least at this point is radically changed, it's interesting that there is such a reset orientation to this run. Yeah, but do we really need brain damage, Dr. Doom, Bob? I, I haven't read Fall of the Hawks, Matt. Maybe it's good. I don't know. I Probably I won't, but maybe it's good. Do we understand anything about New World? No. Yeah, so I, I'm, I was glad it was gone. And then, like, me too, so for, me too. With the, with the Inhumans, I mean, yeah, I'm sure there was a big thing with the Kree War, but we got we got to get them back to the moon, Bob. I don't know. The whole family on the moon. I'm, I'm conflicted about that because I did like this era of Cosmic Marvel where you had the Kree and the Shi'ar and the Skrull and Annihilus all facing down and you had the Inhumans in charge of the Kree. But then the Kree do have interesting characters like Ronan and the Supreme Intelligence. At least I think they're interesting. So it's also interesting to have them not beholden to the Inhumans, so eh, I could see arguments either way. All right, Matt, I've got another task for you. Uh, can you rank Black Bolt's non-Medusa wives in order of hotness? All right, Bob, so we do find out that Black Bolt has a total of five wives, and uh, if I had to rank the wives in order of hotness, I would first go with Queen Aladi Koeka. She is definitely DTF, Bob, since her first words mm -hmm. to the new king are, if, if you are able, we will have sons. Very she's nice, also, very nice. She, she's also green, and she has that Orion slave girl look to her, so, yeah. She's she's a number one choice. The original series had a formative influence on young Matt. There you go. Now, number two, Bob, would be the matriarch, Ula Upanta. She's this bluish character. She's elven-looking. The red fin that sticks out of her head, is that part of their anatomy? It's not a comic. Yes, because Yondu has that, too. She's a centaurian. So uh, gives you those slight. She gives you those slight Omac and Avatar vibes. Avatar, I mean the blue ones, not the not the Airbender. Oh, okay. Thanks for the clarification. You're welcome, Bob. All right, Onomi Whiteman. Well, I see Onomi Whitemane. Uh, she has the head of a horse and a female humanoid body. I mean, it's, 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 it's weird, but it's backwards, Centaur. 
And then finally, Bob, <laughs> we have the goddess Avo. She just looks like a deep sea creature or an off-brand Admiral Akbar. Not attractive at all. Scary looking. All right. So to put it in, to be crass and put it into species terms, did you put the Badoon first? The Badoon is the the green is, person, yes. Yeah, I believe so. And then, <laughs> yes. then, then the Centaurian uh, is Ula Upanta. Correct. And then the Chimelian is White Mane. Yes. And then Evoe is the Dire Wraith. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So that would actually, re I'm remembering that I don't know what uh, Batoon look like. I can't remember, but okay, they're green probably. Okay, that that was an interesting uh, that was an interesting exercise in uh, your psychology, Matt. I'm glad we did that. Thank you. All right, Bob. Glad to help. All right. So number eight uh, issues called Ascension. What's the plot for that one? The Future Foundation intervenes in the Universal Inhumans assault on the forever city of the evolved Moloids. Yeah, I in this issue we have the really amusing dynamic where Nathaniel wants Valeria as an ally, uh, but Sue has uh, put Valeria in timeout, and so Nathaniel has to go it on his own. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, and they have a Herbie AI that keeps adding time to her sentence in timeout. I still think Herbie's yep. a better babysitter than Dragon Man. I mean, is Herbie a, uh, a babysitter, Matt, or is Herbie a jailkeeper? Well, I guess he's more of a jailkeeper, but still. And he doesn't keep him in because they eventually get yeah. out. Yeah. Well, I mean, who could prepare for Franklin's schemes, Matt? Who could prepare for them? It is a very charming moment when Franklin uh, burns his way into his sister's room. That was, that, was that was cute. That was cute. All right, Matt, so my scorecard for white Future Foundation costumes is that they look good on everyone except for the thing the coveralls, the, 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 the suspenders, it's too much. But I do think they look especially amazing, the white Future Foundation costumes on Spider-Man and Doctor Doom. Oh, yeah, especially that Spider-Man look. That was a costume in the PS5 Insomniac game, and it always just looks fantastic. And then Doctor Doom's is just more of a palette swap, but it looks great, mm -hmm. just white on white. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And especially the Spider-Man, I wouldn't want to see him dressed like that all the time, but it's, it's nice as a variation. So on page 16, we have the wizard fighting Moloids in his helmet, and it looks very, very much like Magneto. And given that Magneto is obviously one of Hickman's favorite characters, you, you know that if you've uh, read his yeah. X-Men run. I'm wondering if he told Epting to do that or if Epting did that to make Hickman happy, just to surprise him. But it was, it was a very neat little moment. Yeah, I went back and looked at it because I didn't catch it the first time around. Yep, that's totally just a, he's doing it. It looks just like Magneto. Really, the lesson here is that Magneto ought to take a lesson for the wizard, and he ought to prance around more in nothing but his helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that could be it, Bob. Prance around nothing but your helmet. Well, Bob, at the end of this issue, uh, Doctor Doom's on fire. And, uh, yeah, it's a good cliffhanger. It's a good yeah, cliffhanger. Can this be the end of Doom? Well, Bob, the name of this issue is Burn It Down, so let's find out. Yeah, yeah, issue, it's number nine. Issue number nine, Black Bolt delivers an ultimatum through Medusa to Reed and Spider-Man while his universal and human forces pacify the Forever City, but an evil Reed escapes and enslaves Doom. So find out very quickly, Bob, that Doctor Doom does not die from burning. Doom endures. Very good, very good. Yeah, I, I actually, I believe, have his speech from that moment saved to be my favorite dialogue of the issue, but uh, it's great, it's great. Well, Bob, there's this also this very weird shot from behind Reed Richards as he looks mm -hmm. at Black Bolt with the, uh, the fishy wife says, human or husband is not asking permission that i found very awkward and strange it, but it shows that black bolt definitely has the upper hand 
Yeah, yeah. It is interesting to see Black Bolt in powered up mode because of the addition of the other four Universal Inhumans. Yeah, it's insane. Dude, dude's got stuff under control. Although he doesn't have everything under control because the Spider-Man insulting Black Bolt's polygamy was great in that he just, just awkwardly goes off to play with Lockjaw. Yeah, I love this running gag of Spider-Man's jokes just not coming off with the with this Fantastic Four crowd. Yeah, yeah. Well written. Everything, everything's so much more serious and so much higher stakes, right? I do. I think it will be interesting if we could remember to pay attention to this. As spoilers, the Human Torch is coming back. But when the, when the Human Torch and Spider-Man are in the comic at the same time, does their humor land differently? Because in some ways, Spider-Man is just doing the Human Torch's job of jokester. Right, or they'll play off each other. I mean, yeah, yeah. Or maybe they'll just be so mad that the other's there that all the humor will be insulting each other and they won't have time to insult other cultural traditions. Black Bolt's polygamy. One other thing in this uh, issue is we see uh, Val and Bentley playing a game of odds and evens, essentially, which I, I think is fun. I, I enjoyed that. Val and Bentley, all the younger characters here, they're interesting to watch because it's a whole different dynamic with the little children. <laughs> so mm -hmm. when you go back in, so I think that's what th this series is setting up, right? Future Foundation is basically the children of the Fantastic Four and all their supporting cast working together mm -hmm. to solve problems that the Fantastic Four can't. Is that the whole idea? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And I, as I recall, I mean, it's been a few years, but as I recall, uh, FF Volumes 3 and 4 are much more from the perspective of Val and uh, Frank and then the other kids. Okay. And certainly when, I think we'll go ahead and just read, there's, we could do three more episodes on the Future Foundation after the Hickman run. I think we might as well, just, we might as well go ahead and do those. And those are all very kid focused and then the, the other characters focused. Well, Bob, in issue number 10, it is titled, What I Need. What happens in What I Need, Matt? So we have a mostly relationship focused issue here. We have Reed and Sue, Reed and Ben, Running the Accuser and Crystal enslaving Reed and Doom, and enslaving Reed and Nathaniel. Yeah, a lot of feelings get aired in this one, Matt. A lot of feelings. Uh, I will say one of my favorite tropes in comics is when a, one character makes absurd uh, pronouncements to the other character as a sign of love. So here it's Ronan being a, a romantic for his wife, Crystal. He tells her, for you, I will burn out suns and break worlds. We will see magnificent things. I thought that was nice. We also see Reed help Sue with her pruning by stretching his arm out in the scene, Bob, and very reminiscent to me of what I remember of Fantastic Four, where their mm. powers were really on display. Sometimes mm. I forget Reed Richards even has stretchy powers in these issues that we've been reading because he doesn't really. You know, so you just don't see him use them. Same with Sue and her invisibility. You see her more use her more her force field more so than you do her actual invisibility power. So many years of comics where they were just announcing, how can I fix this? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll flatten myself and make, make a trampoline. Or Sue is, now that I'm invisible, no one can see me and I can sneak in and do this. I've <laughs> seen all those stories. So what Hickman's doing is he's making the power is not even just something that's just second nature, not something that's really something to look to, to be a spectacle about. There's so much no, more I think interesting to look at. I think that's a, a an astute observation, um, although it's interesting that because of just the thing and the human torch, you can never really do that with them, right? Their right. powers are much more uh, manifest and obvious. I, th I actually think it predates Hickman, 
I think for I think since John Byrne and I don't like John Byrne, but I think this is one thing you have to give him credit for. He really was the one to start emphasizing the force field component of uh, Invisible Woman's powers. Now, granted, they were all, always there, but I think he emphasized it more and pointed out wither force fields, which, as you point out in notes, essentially or basically a form of telekinesis. It makes her the potentially the most powerful member of the team. So I think that's been more her case since the 80s in the burn run. And then with Reed, you're absolutely right that you almost forget he has the stretching powers. And that also goes back to the Mark Wade run, Is I at least in my memory. I'd have to go back and look. But I think from the Mark Wade run up, it both makes Mr. Fantastic the protagonist of the book usually, under the thinking that, okay, he's the sharpest guy, so the challenge has to be something that he can't easily think his way out of. And it also, yeah, it does tend to orient the book towards overcoming Mr. Fantastic's intelligence rather than just being a test of the physical strength of the four characters, if that makes sense. That does make sense, yeah. And I've just noticed that more so with, with what we've been reading here because and I, I think you see the same thing with the X-Men. Sometimes you forget which characters don't even use their powers for issues going on issues i forget yeah. bishop sometimes even has powers because we never really see him using that often <laughs> well and they're also so generic and he always has a gun so yeah that, exactly yeah but you, you get the idea well so are the fantastic force powers I mean, come on they're not super strong I, I, they're ba i would say they're basic but they're not generic yeah. Bishops are bishops are just energy powers, which is I, I I think those are especially generic. All right, Bob. So let's talk about poor Doctor Doom here. Yeah, yeah. So we see uh, the Reed that enslaved Doom get very angry that um, our Reed's Nathaniel uh, is the only survivor of the Kill Nathaniel game. So he's angry that his dad is dead. I mean, it's also just very funny to see him taking that out on Doom by enslaving our Doom. Very sad. <laughs> Pretty sad. Poor Doctor Doom just can't catch a damn break. Joins the Fantastic Four, gets enslaved. Right. <laughs> so, Bob, in the last issue, Reed, Spider-Man, and Nathaniel use a portal to take that takes them where they are needed. Okay, because apparently this portal, some portals can take you where you're needed, and some portals can take you where you are, either where you desire to go. So, in this issue, Reed wound up with Sue. Nathaniel ended up with Techno Arm, Reed, and Prisoner Doom, and we don't know why yet. Okay. And mm -hmm. Spider-Man appeared with a thing where we get this apology uh, from Reed. Yeah, but we only get one side of it, right? Because it's <laughs> Spider-Man in the room with Ben, and so we're only hearing Ben's response to Reed apologizing to him, which is pretty funny, I thought. It really is, yeah. And I really didn't want to hear it anyway. I mean, we, we all knew that the thing was going to come back. But of course, Bob, the thing has a plan of his own. The thing is planning on bringing back who, Bob? Well, during this era when uh, Ben briefly left the team, I'm pretty sure he was on Brian Bendis's uh, New Avengers, and so he brings back a lot of the New Avengers. Uh, do you want to go ahead and do the roll call of the New Avengers who show up in the next issue, Matt? Sure, Bob. So in the New Avengers, the New Avengers show up, we have Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Iron Man, Hawkeye, Mockingbird, Doctor Strange, Namor, Marvel Boy, She-Hulk, Miss Marvel, who is now Captain Marvel. Wolverine, Red Hulk, Jessica Drew, Tigra, Iceman, Firestar, Arana, Gravity, Black Panther, Kitty Pride, Beast, Daredevil, Giant Man, and Captain America. Yeah, so I three of them were a little confusing to me. Uh, 
I, as much as I like Barry Kitson's art, he just draws Iceman a little weird. I didn't recognize Iceman. And then uh, Marvel Boy is not in his normal costume, although I have a hard time even picturing what Marvel Boy's normal costume is, come to think of it. And then Gravity is just an obscure character from this time that I, I care nothing about and do not do not bother to remember. I would have assumed that uh, Arana was Julia Carpenter based on the costume, but I would have been wrong. It is it is Aranya, lately of the Madam Web movie. Okay. So and it like, is. How many of these characters have had a Marvel MCU? I think all of them, except for Marvel Boy, Iceman, Gravity. Has Has Mockingbird shown up? No, Mockingbird has not. Mockingbird and unless Jessica Firestar hasn't either. Red Hulk hasn't, I don't think. No, Red Hulk hasn't either. No. And I don't think Jessica Drew has. I mean, she she had her cartoon back in the day, but yeah, she hasn't. Okay, so there's a couple. And then, still... did you? Sorry, did you say Tiger? No, Tiger hasn't made it. Yeah, Tiger hasn't made yeah. it. Yeah, so there's a, there's a few here that have uh, Marvel yeah, MCU yeah. counterparts. Yeah, and I, I will say just the She-Hulk tormenting Ben during Reed's presentation is pretty funny. It, it amused me. Yeah, this final issue, Bob, was just all build up. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. I guess we should uh, go ahead and do the plot for it. So the, the final issue is number 11, Intelligence. Matt, what happens in Intelligence? So Ronan and Crystal attack Attilan to free two evil Reeds and to sacrifice them to the Supremor Seed to recreate the Kree Supreme Intelligence. So, Matt, were you happy with the cliffhanger that this was all a build-up to? I mean, I guess so. So, does this new Kree Supreme Intelligence, does it, it has two, it has the mind of two Reed Richards? So, I, I can't remember if this ever gets any more specific, but my interpretation is that it's not, it's just the the minds of the two Reeds are just the building blocks. It's the it's the same Supreme Intelligence it ever is. They, they just needed a certain amount of raw brain power as a jumpstart. Does that oh, make okay. sense? Yeah, so we're not going to, so it's it, there's no significance that it was two of them and not just one. Okay. I don't think so, no. Okay. Well, yeah, well, okay, so Bob, this issue was a lot of just build up to what I guess what's going to happen next in the next volume, which I guess goes back to the Fantastic Four the, the main the main room yeah next time we're going to discuss number 600 which i think is an extra sized issue through 604 um, that would be fantastic four volume five in the old trades i'll say that again at the end but number 600 to 604 so matt before we get to the end what was your favorite visual of these uh, five or six issues so in issue number nine bob on page 16 uh, doom getting tricked and collared by one of the reeds was very entertaining he like the Reed throws up a hologram. Doctor Doom thinks it's him, goes for it, and then just snaps the collar around his neck. I just thought it was well, well, the way it was shown was well played out. It was scripted correctly. I liked it. Mm. Also, in the final issue, where you see one of the uh, obelisks that the cult of the Negative Zone has planted, it was in the middle of a fast food kitchen, which I thought was very weird. Oh yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you called that out. And that does something seem to be something interesting. I'm not. Sh I don't think this is another Negative Zone appearances and comics by other people but in hickman he always has the negative zone being sinister sinisterly in normal things in life a fast food kitchen or a nightclub right yeah so my favorite visual was uh, issue number eight page 18 you see doom do a heavy rock lift which is something he can do because the the exoskeleton he has does give him super strength he can 
he, the thing is stronger, but Doom can go one-on-one -on -one with him if he needs to. Uh, so it's uh, nice to see that. And then the very next page, we see him pimp slap one of the reeds. And uh, that was a very cool visual. And then the page after that, we see him betrayed and burnt by Diablo. Just a nice one, two, three punch all in a row. We like our Dr. Doom, guys. We do. He's great, man. He's great. So what was your favorite dialogue, man? So in uh, issue number nine, I believe it is, the Mole Man screams, Farewell, I hope they prolong your passing. Death is too good for any Richards. Nice. A giant dinosaur's mouth. And then we already started talking about not mine. It's number nine, Doom uh, monologuing after Diablo Torches. Fire, you tried to kill me with fire? Folly, I've burned before. The world be damned, Doom endures. And I believe that is a reference to the fact that Doom has literally been to hell a couple of times. Oh, okay. Well, Bob, my favorite character we didn't talk much about, uh, but it, I'm going to give it to Ronan the Accuser. I never thought I'd really care about Ronan the Accuser, but he has a really good, really decent side plot in this entire entire volume. En enjoyed that part. Oh, man, I'm, I'm glad you liked Ronan the Accuser. He's he's one of my favorites, too, um, so I'm, I'm pleased. I expected you would just think he was he was boring like his boss, the Supreme Intelligence. He's actually interesting. That is one of the things I, I get a little... I generally think the Guardians of the Galaxy are some of the only good Marvel movies, but I'm a little sore that the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie just made Ronan a one-note villain, right? There's so much more to him, at least in, in this era of comics. There's so much more to him. All right, so my favorite character, I would say Val. We didn't talk much uh, about her stuff in these issues, but she really holds the volume together. And Bob, my favorite issue was issue number 10. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm a weepy sentimentalist. What can I say? Yeah, it was it was a really good issue. Very interesting with the just the parallelism between the parallels between each character going to where they're needed and then why they're needed there. I thought that was just interesting. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, so this has been uh, Fantastic Four by Hickman, Volume Four Point Seven Five. For those keeping track at home, next time uh, we'll see you to talk about uh, Fantastic Four by Hickman, Volume Five. We'll talk about issues number six hundred through six hundred four. Looking forward to it. Uh, this has been Uncanny Treks. I am Bob in Cascadia. That's Matt in the Southland. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening.